Today I want to talk to us about something that's very deep, runs very deep, food, right? Runs very deep, right? Or, or some people call it grub, as we've titled the message this morning. Grub. I'm hungry. I want to go get some grub. And food, of course, is something we all need and certainly enjoy, at least most of the time, for most of us. But of course, this morning, I don't just want to talk about food, but I do want to talk about the spiritual significance of food, or might we say, meal sharing in the Bible and the implications it has for our lives. And it may surprise you. But there's quite a lot on this topic in the Bible. In almost every chapter of the Gospels, if you do an honest and thorough read, you will find something, if not more than one thing, about a meal or about food in general. Whether it's embedded into the setting or the context, whether it's a parable like the feast or the banquet, there, there is this theme that's pervasive throughout all of Scripture, especially in the Gospels. In fact, it was part of this whole idea of meal sharing, was part of um, how Jesus went about interacting with people. It was actually part of his missional strategy in the world. It was how he did and accomplished his purpose, so much of it. And who he chooses to share a meal with, as we read the Gospels, it was immensely significant. So when it comes to meals, what, what we discover when we really look at Scripture and more specifically in Jesus' life is that it has significant implications, often overlooked implications for our lives. But if we understand how Jesus approached different people and meals in his own life of 33 plus years on earth, and we realize who he spent time with during those meals and why and how he went about all of that, I believe, and I've discovered new insights even this week as I've studied this topic and read about it, that that we can have, um, they they can have a, a significant impact and have huge implications for our lives. In fact, I think it can help us align with our God-given purpose. Now, quick survey. How many of you unashamedly, unashamedly are proud that you like chain restaurants? Throw up your hand. No shame, right? At least not from me. Maybe from your neighbor. I don't know. No shame. Right? I love chain restaurants, right? Because I can go and I know what to expect. Okay, not everyone's like that. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I have a brother who's like the biggest anti-chain restaurant person, right? If he comes, comes into town, it's like take him to a chain restaurant and it's just like a mortal sin that you've committed and now he's committed because he's part of it, right? Can't do that. He loves the local hometown, right? Hole in the wall. The more obscure and and least known, the better for him, right? And, and I don't, I certainly don't mind. In fact, I sometimes love those kinds of restaurants, no doubt. But for me, if I'm honest, there are moments when I just want the chain restaurant, right? I mean, you know what you're expecting. So um, when, when Cher and I were, were young and dating, uh, we, well, I used to take her to Chili's. Yes, I'm out there with it, Chili's. This is how I won her over. Guys, strategy, don't use it though. But um, that was my idea at the time of fine dining. So there we were at Chili's on a regular basis. And later we upgraded to places like Magiana's. Well, not too long ago, we were at the Cheesecake Factory, which, you know, love Cheesecake Factory, two of you in the room, but um, there's some good stuff there here. And, and, and that particular day, we were going on a date, you could say. It was a long day. We were kind of exhausted. We were ready to just sort of check out and chill out together, hang out, have sort of a quiet, you know, date night sort of thing. But it didn't actually go quite like that, like we envisioned. And so we get there, and, you know, normally we, we in those moments, ask for a booth, um, and we didn't. We were so hungry. You know, those moments you're like, just seat us anywhere as fast as you can. So the hostess starts walking us to where we're going to sit. And she starts walking toward this long line of tables that were like two inches apart from each other. 
You know what I'm talking about? You guys have been there? We call them like Siamese tables. They're so close. And, and, and these are two different parties. I mean, that's kind of a glimpse of it, you know? And so we're walking, and me and Sherry kind of look at each other like, really, you know? So anyway, but then it gets worse because, we, you know, you're climbing through the table. Your leg can barely fit, you know, through, and you're, you don't want to bump the table or bump the wine. So anyway, we get to, you know, sitting down. And we're like, oh, it's going to be kind of annoying, you know? But then we look over, and it's people we know sitting right next to us. <laughs> But it's not like those people that we like met one time, we can just say hello and, you know, be kind and then move on. And it's not like on the other side of the spectrum, it's not like friends that, you know, fate brought us together, let's just share a meal together. It wasn't like that. It was more like in between acquaintance, we've seen each other, know each other a little bit, you know. So, I mean, you say hi, you make some small talk, and then, you know, I just kind of went, this is our night, so I'm just going to kind of be rude a little bit. And I just said, semi-abruptly said, hey, we hope you enjoy your meal. And I turned one inch to the left, right, and like onward we go. And the whole time, right, we're eating, and you're so self-conscious of everything you say. So we're pretending like we don't hear each other, but you know how you're like listening with this ear and, you know, to your wife, I guess, and, you know, it's like, that was weird, but you can't say that, but I can't wait till we get to the car and we can really like talk about what they were talking about. I mean, that's kind of the the highlight of the night that's coming, you know? Anyway, that's just me. (laughs) But... Nonetheless, we were there, right, and, and we just kind of thought, we walked out and we went, never again at Cheesecake Factory. But then, you know, that's not really true, because I mean, I got a gift certificate for $50 at Cheesecake Factory, just for Christmas, you know, so I'm, 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 I'm going to be there soon, but no Siamese tables, we'll take the booth, um, anyhow. But here's the thing, right, when, when we go out to eat, or, or even if we have a meal in our home, it's not just about consuming the food, Although that's good, it's about spending time together. You want friendship, you want relationship, perhaps you want to grow, perhaps you want to spend time with someone who really kind of gets you, so to speak. So breaking bread together, whether it be in the context of a date or friendship or any other uh, kind of relationship, it's not just about consuming food, it's about relationship. And this is profoundly reflected in the life of Jesus. I mean, if you just take the Gospel of Luke, the third book in the New Testament, and you just do a quick scan of it, I mean, there's stories about Jesus sharing meals that just go boom, 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 all the way through. Here's a few examples. Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Then in Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, he eats in the home of Mary and Martha. In Luke 11, he condemns the Pharisees and teachers of law. At a meal. Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals, not just their friends. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home in one instance. We have the account of the Lord's Supper toward the end of Luke. And then in Luke 24, last chapter, after Jesus has, has been raised from the dead, he has a meal with two disciples at Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. I could go on. That's just Luke. One scholar, Robert Carus, concludes... In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And even when Jesus is not at a meal, there are tons of other references about a meal, like the banquet or the feast. And there are so many interactions, both in Luke's gospel and beyond, that we could look at around this idea of meal sharing and food in the scriptures, what Jesus did with that and others even. But I want to zero in on one this morning I go a bit deeper with that because what's reflected in this passage are three core elements of how Jesus took something simple and ordinary, things that we do every day of our lives, gratefully. We get to eat a meal and even perhaps share a meal, and Jesus takes this idea to a whole new level. Read with me in Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. 
This is Jesus in the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. You may know the story. He climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's what all the people around were saying. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. In this short little text, there's so much that we find here. There's so much to draw out. And and one of the first things that I notice in this passage is really about Zacchaeus. And then there's three core things about Jesus. But, but, But the first thing about Zacchaeus is what I call the readiness factor. The readiness factor. I mean, who knows if a year before this moment, if Zacchaeus would have been in the place to receive what Jesus was offering him, what Jesus had for him in that moment. But what's clear in this moment in Zacchaeus' life is that he is open and he is ready for the leading of Jesus. The fact that he climbed up in order to catch a glimpse of Jesus shows us his desire For Jesus was so much stronger than his reputation. He must have looked pretty silly, right? I mean, just imagine the scene. This full-grown man starts climbing up a tree, I guess with his legs, and grabs branch to branch. We don't know exactly. But it's this sycamore tree that he's climbing up, sort of wiggling up the tree. And I can just hear, I mean, can't you just envision the people around him sort of muttering, mocking him, making fun of what is that guy doing? Perhaps the more polite uh, among them were just sort of like internally like saying stuff like I was at the Cheesecake Factory table, you know, but, um, but, but they were like thinking about this and like, what is this man doing? He's embarrassing himself. And even the least people-pleasing person among them must have thought that I would never do that. That's so socially awkward to do in this moment. But Zacchaeus didn't care. He did it anyways. Why? Because... He was ready to humble himself in that moment, even make a fool of himself just to get a glimpse of this man, God, Jesus, who he had heard was changing people's lives. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. And in this short passage, along with recognizing Zacchaeus' readiness factor, which was there, we also see Jesus take three actions that are very significant, that have a profound ripple effect. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later talking about this very story from the scriptures. The first thing Jesus does that stands out to me so much is that Jesus notices Zacchaeus. He noticed him, and this is huge. The power of noticing cannot be underestimated. The scriptures say that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he spoke to Zacchaeus. I mean, Zacchaeus was hidden in this massive crowd of people, literally up in the tree, out of the the line of sight. But Jesus didn't miss him. Of all that was going on around Jesus in that moment of the crowds of people and all the commotion, he saw one thing that was most important. A man who was generally seeking after God. A man who is ready and open to God. 
And one of the most significant spiritual actions I believe every single one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, one of the most significant spiritual actions that we can do is notice the activity of God. And specifically, not only in our own heart, but in the lives of the people around us that God has brought into our path. I heard this pastor once talk about keeping one ear to earth and one ear to heaven. And I love that metaphor because we walk in our bodies in the physical, but our spirits are capable, God made us this way, are capable of tuning into the spirit of God that resides within us. I mean, it's kind of like tuning into the right frequency, and I don't know, I could use like a radio example, but I mean, just raise your hand. Who listens to the radio anymore? I don't know. Yeah, there's some. Well, most of you. Maybe I'm out of date or something. I don't know. But anyway, we all get the idea, right? The radio, you tune into the station, and you allow that voice to enter your car or wherever you are and have an impact in the way it's going to have an impact. So we can tune into the frequency of the world and its voice, or we can tune into the station where we can hear God speaking to us. And this is the way that we practice the significant spiritual action of noticing. Jesus, when he was on earth, he was known for referring to the Father, what the Father wanted, what the Father was saying to him, where the Father was leading him. This marked his ministry. And this all comes down to tuning in and noticing the activity of God, in particular in the lives of people around you. I mean, could it be, could it be that God has placed certain people in your life and in mine on purpose for a reason? That those people all around us who are searching, who are questioning, who are perhaps even skeptics or cynics about God, they might be struggling or down and out, and God's put you in their life because they're looking for something. They're looking for someone. They're looking for God. And it's one of those core things that makes a follower of Jesus, a true and devoted follower of Jesus, that we are noticing what God is saying inside of us and noticing the activity of God all around us. In Acts 17, great passage, and, and, and what we find there, there are many things, but one of the things we find there is that it says that God has put you and me and all people in human history in an appointed time and place in history. Why? So that... We all would seek after him and come to find him. That is the purpose and activity of God that's happening among us, in your life, in mine, and in those around us. And you know what? Sometimes people climb trees to get a look at Jesus. I love that. I love that image. But, but other times it, it's more subtle, it's more quiet, it's more introverted, might, you might say. Which is all the more reason why we ought to be pay atten- being paying attention, right? Because there are people that sit with you at a meal. There are people that you perhaps work with or are in your neighborhood or even your family. And there, there are rumblings inside. There are wonderings and ponderings and meanderings of God. Is he real? What's he up to? Why are, where is he right now? And all sorts of things like that. And God is inviting us to slow down our life and to notice and to lean in and to be curious and to hear their story and to hear their questions and to go on the search with them. And I believe from this passage and others that, that the Bible calls every single follower of Jesus to be what Jesus was in this moment, a noticer, a noticer of the activity of God. All right, the second thing that Jesus did along with noticing that was equally significant is he chose to associate 
with Zacchaeus. This was big. It's a little hard to understand when you first maybe read that passage unless you understand more of the context, but there's a big difference between acknowledging someone and socially associating with someone. We all know how association works. It's the way you dress, the music you listen to, um, who you hang out with, those sorts of things. And the things we associate with are closely tied to our identity. Now, I don't think anywhere else you can look like really cuts to this um, until you really look to like the glory days of high school. Perhaps for some it's like the misery days of high school and you don't even want to go there and you go, yeah, 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 that makes my skin crawl. For others you go, that was so fun, I wish I could go back. I don't know where that lands. <laughs> but, but, but think about this. In the early 60s, my father-in-law was like a legit greaser. Know what I'm talking about? The black leather jacket, some of you. I know this like dates some of you and, and all that, but it's like the white, you know, you've seen this, right? The white t-shirt, the slick back hair, right? I guess the Levi's, something of the sorts, right? So he was a legit greaser. I mean, they were the rebels. They were the nonconformists, you know, in that, in that day. And he only hung out with his own, right? The rebels and nonconformists and like, which is so funny now because it was um, greaser turned Bible teacher, because that's what he is now. And so who knows where your life is going to lead you? Hold on to hope, people. Um, but, but, but then my brother-in-law, right, you know, fast forward a number of years back, he was like diehard, some of you won't even know this reference, but he was like diehard, I'll do fill in the blanks here, new kids on the block, right? And I mean, he wore that kind of stuff, right? I mean, I'd see those overalls, guys. You want to like kick that back in gear, wear that next week together? I don't know. Anyhow, just kidding. Um, But like he literally would go to parties and pierce his ear for the party and then hope it would close itself back up after. No kidding, right? He wanted to be that much like new kids on the block boy. And then for me, like we'll rewind back to even middle school days, right? I, I, I ran with this little crew. There was a leader of the pack. His name, get this, his name was Ari Caffini which sounds like a mafia leader, doesn't it? So we're in seventh grade, and he's, you know, he's kind of the, we'll just call him the drug lord of the group because we would sell caffeine pills. And one night, it was a middle school dance, seventh grade, we're selling caffeine pills and busted, right? Somebody got, you know, caught. It wasn't me, and then they told on me, and I was, like, you know, angry for, like, a long time, but uh, maybe still shedding it. But, um, but thank God he saved me, and I moved on. <laughs> Right? But, 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 but you get that, right? The association thing is so strong from growing up years, and even it looks different, but in adulthood, it happens too. But, but here's the serious thing about it. Who we associate with says a lot about who we identify with and who and what we value and affirm. Jesus could have easily kept his distance from Zacchaeus. He could have acknowledged him. He could have pulled him to the side even. He could have even done this in front of me. He could have just taught him a lesson and ended it there. And that probably would have been a lot more socially acceptable, in fact, to the standards of the time. And people might even have thought, man, good for him. Jesus really gave it to him, right? This sinner, this tax collector, this, you know, disgusting of a person, right? I'm so glad Jesus just gave it to him, right? And Jesus could have, you know, done some version of that. But instead, Jesus, as he always, or at least almost always does, goes off script with what the religious people thought appropriate for him. And he shows himself to be more interested in touching a life in that moment rather than elevating and protecting an elite group of society. In the first century, you may know this, but tax collectors, they were not just unlikable, they were abhorred. They were looked at as cheats. They stole money from commoners. 
They were traitors. They, they essentially sold out their own people, the Jewish people, in order to have certain perks with the Roman government who was continuously rising in power. They, they not only, right, the Roman government collected outrageous taxes, but then the tax collectors would take more off the top, basically stealing from people. So they were looked at with disgust in that society. They were sellouts. They were filled with greed. They were deserving of humiliation and low regard. But isn't that the problem with humanity sometimes? I mean, we often see the surface and we come across Jesus and we intersect who he is and what he was about. And we see Jesus once again showing us that he sees the heart. He's not interested in condemning or chastising. He's interested in setting people free. And there's no doubt in this moment that we see this in the text. By inviting himself to Zacchaeus, a tax collector, and looked down upon person in that society, by inviting him to Zacchaeus' home, Jesus was making a very unpopular public statement that he was associating with someone deemed too vile to associate with by the world's standards. And this is where we see so much, so much more, really, to the breaking of bread than simply filling our stomachs. Right? When we share a meal together... We're making a statement of association. It's one thing to give food away, a good thing, as we would in a charitable way, but it's, it's a whole other thing to share a meal with a person. And Jesus didn't just give food away. In this case, case, food being a symbolic gesture of grace, he pulled up a seat. He sat at the table, and he shared a meal in an up-close and personal way. And that cost him. There was a visceral, visceral reaction to Jesus' association with the undesirables in this scene of history. People used this as a primary way to reject him and what he was about as the Messiah. And these hostile accusations, in fact, were a large part of what ultimately led him to his crucifixion. He was more than once referred to as a drunkard and a glutton, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus cared more about people, more about his mission, more about loving them and caring for them, no matter what other people thought of them. People who were hurting and broken, people who were messed up and misfits, people who were sick and unhealthy and in need of God. Jesus moved toward them. Jesus associated with him. And he didn't care what emerged in terms of his reputation, no matter how much it shocked the people around him. And the question then becomes for us, as followers, as, as those in his tribe, he as our leader, do we reflect this? Do we reflect this as Christ followers? Or do we merely associate with people who think and look and fit into the same social, religious, even political mold that we do? Are we struck by this in a way that moves us to change do we stay in our small little space of comfort or are we following God wherever and to whatever and whomever he may lead us? I mean, what does it look like for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to actually follow his example in this way and not only notice the person on the outside, the misfit, but to associate with them, to offer friendship and grace and affection and even just ourselves? Noticing, associating. Jesus did those two things. And thirdly, 
Through the medium of meal sharing, Jesus shows intentionality. He shows intentionality. And now, going back into that conversation, we're not fortunate enough to know exactly how that conversation goes down. And in, in like other stories in the Gospels, it sort of zips through the conversation. We get the highlights. But there's no doubt this was a life-changing moment for Zacchaeus. Jesus responds to him after he promised not only pay back all he cheated, all the people he cheated, but to do it four times the amount. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. It's come to you. You are changed forever. You've crossed over from death to life. And Jesus clearly was intentional about how he spent time together, how he interacted over that conversation. The overarching quality to everything Jesus did was making his time count in every moment. He often brings people on this journey that that they don't even fully understand, but they go on this journey with them. And make no mistake, he is being very intentional about how and why and where he is leading people, you, me, and Zacchaeus. As Jesus and Zacchaeus broke bread together in that moment, they essentially opened up their hearts to the conversation that God wanted them in. And the results showed in how joyful Zacchaeus was in his response after he had been changed. Because he had been chasing something his whole life. He had been chasing wealth. And whatever he experienced in that moment over that meal, it was clearly more compelling than continuing down the road he had been going. For him, it was of no consequences to give up all his possessions away in the response of the love and the grace that was being given to him by God. I mean, imagine a person, imagine Zacchaeus running out of the house and sort of just yelling and screaming in joy, right? Parading around, celebrating, cheering, right? Because of what had done. I mean, that's kind of what was happening there, pretty much the spirit of it. This was an unthinkable and and shocking, unexpected moment for the surrounding people. And when you think about it, it's like, what what caused that to happen in Zacchaeus' life. I mean, it was shocking for him, really. Like, th- this took him by surprise, but he was ready for it, but it took him by surprise. surprise. And it comes down to Jesus' purposeful intentionality with this person. It isn't enough just to be together and enjoy a meal and the company that the meal brings. The Scriptures call us to open our hearts to the conversation that God is having with us and them. Those meal-sharing moments can be, and they ought to be, so much more than eating some good grub. I mean, meals are part of the fabric of our lives. We know this. Most of us, you know, have have the great privilege to eat 21 or so meals a week. And they're part of our work, our family, our social life, even in our community. And and here's the thing. When you really look at Jesus' life and, and who he was and what he was, there's no formula here. God gives us his spirit, not a formula. But what we do extract from this and many other passages in the Gospels is that Jesus saw meals not as something just to take or leave, right? Not as something to interact with casually, but he took great intentionality and he moved toward people in those moments. See, God alone knows the journey that all of us are on. He knows what we are ready for. He knows what we need and what needs to be exchanged among fellow travelers on this earth in order to move us towards him, to find him, to know him, to be transformed by him. And and, and I don't think most of us, if not all of us, need much more convincing that our relationships are important and even that that meals are commonplace and we ought to be intentional about them. But, But here's what I would say. 
Sometimes these things just pass us by. And the three qualities that Jesus carried with him everywhere he went are three qualities that we can grab onto. And if we do these things, it will change the way we are. It will change the way we interact with people. It will change our our life alignment, help us align with God's purpose and mission. And the first one, noticing, just for reflection, are you noticing the people that God is putting in your path? And who might be seeking after God, may have questions about God, yet they're still on the outside and isolated from the body of Christ because God cares about those people. And God charges his people, us, to care about those people too. Or associating. Are you sharing the gospel or your faith story with people that God has put in your path? But also, are you associating with them? People who might be so different than you. People who might not believe the same things as you. Or do you distance yourself? Are you making a public statement not only to the world around you but to them that they are worthy of your friendship and value and affection? That they're worthy of your time? And thirdly, intentionality. Are you making your time and relationships count? Are you sitting back and passively watching time pass? Are you engaging and opening your heart to the conversation that God wants you to be in together as you sit across the table from another person? Are you intentional in those moments? Because I believe that many of us in this room, we desire to to more deeply engage relationships. We desire even more intentionality. We want to foster spiritual conversations. And I acknowledge sometimes that is difficult and complicated for all kinds of reasons. But I just want to say two things really practically to all of us this morning. Two practical next steps. Two things I don't believe if you do, you will ever regret. And the first one is this. Think about all the meals in your life. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Think about the places that you have those meals in all different places, depending on the day or the week. No matter what your age and stage of life Most of us, like I said, have about 21 meals a week. What if you just took three? What if you just took three meals this week and you said, I'm going to be intentional? Perhaps one of them is with someone who doesn't believe in God, who might have questions that you could ask questions about, and you could ask them about their story and their own questions about life and God and all kinds of things, and you become interested in them. Perhaps another is someone you've lost connection with and you can start move, moving toward once again. Maybe you need to restore a broken relationship and you're intentional about that. It might be awkward, it might be hard, but maybe God's whispering their name to you even now. Maybe another is someone you just want to learn from or someone you want to pour into and invest in. And the list of, of examples could go on. But what if you just took three meals this week And then for weeks to come, and you were extra intentional with those meals. I get it. Some of you eat breakfast and you're not awake yet. (laughs) That may not work for you. And some of you are with your families at home at night and it doesn't work to go out. And so midday works. And all of our schedules, you got to intersect all that. But Jesus, if there's one thing he's saying through the Gospels, as I've thought about this this week, is be intentional about your meals. Those can be sacred moments of meal sharing. And the second thing I'd say is this. Many of you know about these, but we have something at our church called missional communities. They're small groups of people that gather in the middle of the week, and we're launching into them this week. We're doing something called uh, the Alpha Course, 
And, 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 and basically it's four to maybe 12, even 15 people that gather together. You share food or a meal together. You watch a video and then you discuss the video. The Alpha Course is about the core doctrines of Christianity. For those who have been around the faith a long time, it's a good refresh. For those who want to strengthen your biblical literacy and for those who have tons and tons of questions and are skeptical, it's actually designed for you. For some of you, the challenge is not only to be in a missional community, but to invite someone on the outside into that space who may not even go to Awakening Church. To take a risk might be your next step this week. So I don't know where it is for you, but as you listen to God's Spirit inside of you, sign up for an MC. Make a decision in your heart to have three meals of intentionality. Notice people. Because here's the wonderful thing. God wants to use you. God wants to use you in his greater mission in the world. And meal sharing isn't the only way to do it, but it's certainly one thing that's already embedded into your life that you don't have to add anything to, and you can do what Jesus said, and you can notice people and associate with people and be intentional. And who knows if you fast forward a year from now what conversations might have happened, perhaps even what people maybe came to faith in Jesus for the very first time. Because when we show up like this and when we do it prayerfully and when we pay attention and notice and add intentionality to our lives, you know what we get to experience? The movement and power and activity of God. And we stand back in wonder and amazement that God is alive and he is real and he is working. He's working in your life and he wants to work through your life. But you have to make a decision in your heart. I'm going to align with you, God, with your mission, with your purpose, with your grace and your activity that is happening in this world both inside here and all around me. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that gets that, that does that, that lives that, that shares meals with people. And in those spaces, they become sacred, they become life-changing, and we have moments that, that basically say, today salvation has come to this person. And we get to be part of that. That's the invitation. Perhaps there's... No other um, better segue uh, to, to close out uh, my talk here this morning than, than to lead us into a time of communion. Because isn't it quite interesting, Jesus, at the very end of his ministry on this earth, had the Last Supper, what we know as the Last Supper, with his 12 disciples. One of the last things he did before his ministry on earth ended, before the crucifixion came. And he chose to make his final moments on this earth a memorandum of how significant the sacrifice he was about to make was and how people for generations to come would reflect on the significance of breaking bread together that symbolizes Jesus' broken body, that symbolizes his blood that was spilled for your sins and mine and all of humanity. And he did this and he shared this in this sacred meal, the Last Supper. It seems fitting that since he began his ministry over a celebration, the wedding where he turned water into wine, and he filled so many of the spaces in between over a table with people seeking after him, that he would end his ministry at the table as well. So this morning, we're just going to take a few minutes. The band is going to play some music. There are communion tables on either side that when you get ready, you can get up and you can go over and grab a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. You can take it there or bring it back to your seat and you can sit in reflection of who Jesus is. You can remember the cross, that what he did, that he spilled his blood for you. 
And that you would also remember as you sit at that table with Jesus in that moment that that's not just for you. But there's people in your life that God has appointed for this time in history that he would use you to help them seek and find and know and be transformed by God.